Hello and welcome to the Speak Up Podcast. I'm Laura Camacho, the Communication Coach at Mixonian Institute. And this is the podcast where we talk about conversations, difficult conversations, challenging conversations, creative conversations, all you need to know about building relationships and moving your career forward. Each episode is dedicated to one specific aspect of these conversations. It could be me teaching you something that I usually share with my coaching clients or in my workshops, or it could be an interview where I ask some, a successful person about their most challenging conversations. Welcome to Mixonian Institute's Speak Up Podcast. Glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Speak Up podcast and even though I am moving to a an interview format, today's podcast is not an interview, but I'm doing a deep dive into a, an article published in Harvard Business Review recently uh, called Four Things to Do Before a Tough Conversation because this whole podcast is about important, significant, life-changing conversations, which are usually the most challenging one. And this article is written by Joseph Grinney, who is the co-founder of Vital Smarts, which is a competition to Mixonian Institute, and he's written several books. And he's giving four tips about what to do before a tough conversation. And I totally agree that the success of any significant conversation really is decided in the preparation. Uh, that's I even did a whole webinar uh, recently about preparing for the conversation because, you know, we tend to play it over in our minds over and over and can get uh, all worked up if we're not careful. And speaking of getting worked up, some of the things in this article got me worked up. So I'm a little bit um, excited, shall we say, about some of the things that he writes about. So he starts off uh, with this, I'm assuming a fictional based on historical. I was in denial for about a year and a half before I admitted that I needed to fire Randy. And of course, he does make clear that Randy is not the real name. So what the heck, a year and a half denying that you need to fire someone? But wait, it gets worse. Uh, he says his work performance had been, you know, really subpar for many years. But listen to this. But he was so darn nice and likable that I gave him the benefit of the doubt. So that affirms what I'm always telling people and really why I started Mixonian Institute in the first place is that uh, you see people in these leadership positions beyond their competence and you're like, why is that person in that position? And it's because of their interpersonal skills. They are liked by people. And here's an example. Randy's boss liked him so much, he cut him slack for many years, listen to this, uh, he had worked for this boss over nine years. So, and, and it gets even worse. And his income had grown to the point he would find it difficult to find comparable compensation. So this boss had this report for over nine years, gave him raises and raises and raises, and yet he was not performing at the level of expectations. 
So seriously, the, this uh, boss should be fired. And I expect that none of you would let this go on for so long. If you, if you have, you're not alone. But if you're, t you know, being more proactive and taking care of these bad fits early on, that's something that you might want to uh, use in your performance reviews and to spread the word and offer to help other people do the same. And what was this Randy doing wrong? Uh, he would never say no. He would agree to everything, and yet he would not. He didn't know what he was actually going to deliver on. And and he even says that uh, his completed projects were based on whoever was nagging him the most, not on the importance of the business of the commitments he'd made. So again, what's the deciding factor here? It's communication skills, in this case called nagging. You want something done, you've got to be the squeaky wheel. So the guy is saying yes, he's not following through, he's not filtering, he's not pushing back, he's not paying attention to the objectives, and yet he's clearly been with this company at least nine years, working for this boss at least nine years, and now they're going to have the the conversation that nobody wants to have when you have to fire people. And the author does uh, point out very correctly that it's in these difficult, crucial, significant conversations that our communication skills go out the window. Stress really does decimate our ability to communicate well. He goes on to talk about uh, the prime that their research shows that the primary predictor of your success in a crucial conversation has less to do with how you use your mouth and much more to do with what you do before you open it and i've gone into that uh, even though i had not read their research just other research plus it just makes sense to me preparing for that critical conversation is really what makes it successful. Not that you can ever control how the other person's going to react, but things that you can do to mitigate the downside and to optimize the upside. Granny has four things to do before, and I'm gonna start now with number one, which is to get your motives right. Now, I would phrase that as getting really clear on your intention. Uh, but I'll first go into how he phrases it, and then I'll give you my take. So he points out, you know, he has this self-awareness to know that he had compromised this person's, Randy's, ability to save his job. Yes, he did. It's highly irresponsible. Uh, he had hurt the customers. He had frustrated the teammates of Randy. He had even run the risk of losing them. I mean, really, he's a pretty bad manager um, or leader. I doesn't say their, their exact position. That's good. And then he has to get clear now what is it that he really wants. Now, Granny is teaching that you uh, set your intention at four levels. So that would be what do, what do I want for myself? What do I want for the other person? What do I want for the relationship? And what do I want for the stakeholder? So that's a legitimate way to look at it. It's definitely taking a deep dive into really what you want from this conversation. It's really clear. It's important to get clear on that. 
I teach uh, several, a different angle. I'll just go over it briefly. Probably some of you have heard of the objective versus the super objective. So the objective would be what you want out of this conversation uh, as far as a specific outcome and a material outcome. And then the super objective which comes from acting, the super objective would be like, what do you want from this relationship? And in, and in feedback conversations, I think the best kind of objective is the shared objective. Like, what do we both want? We, we both want the company to do well so we can keep, you know, serving our clients and providing jobs, for example. All right, so uh, this manager goes does some more self-reflection and he establishes his uh, objective as he wants to be for himself, a caring and ethical manager, which he has not done so far. He wants to help Randy get another job where he can be successful. He wants Randy to know that he cares about him, and he wants to provide his team and customers with the support they deserve. So he mentions that just realizing and connecting to these motives change the way he felt about the conversation. It really helps to, to get your resolve firm when you are super clear about why you are carrying it out. His number two is get your emotions right. And he's absolutely correct that unhelpful emotions are another barrier to a productive conversation. We're often feeling angry, scared, hurt, and or defensive. Uh, we tend to catastrophize and go with the worst interpretation or certainly an unhelpful uh, interpretation. And Grinny goes into how sometimes our interpretation or, or our story about the situation turns into what he calls a victim and villain story, where he, the boss, is the victim and Randy is the villain. I call this, um, what do I call this? The victim mentality that we seem you know, when we're under stress or certain things can trigger us to see ourselves as the victims of the situation, which clearly, from my point of view, this manager is actually the villain because he obviously didn't have very, he was not a good leader to Randy. He didn't, I don't know if he didn't set clear expectations. He certainly did not give him the feedback that he needed and the help he needed to uh, become better or to leave, find another job much earlier. Uh, so Grinning goes in to say, goes on to say that the victim story is makes us out to be the innocent sufferers in this predic predicament, and it helps us to justify our actions and that we have taken towards others. And it also, with the victim mentality, we tend to uh, attribute. Uh, very negative motives to the other person. That's called the fundamental attribution error from psychology. And so we can say, just an example of that but is very common, that if I'm late, well, it's because I am so busy and I'm helping so many people and I just, um, you know, they're just, other people are keeping me from being on time. But if you're late to the meeting with me, I'm thinking you are not managing your time well, you're clearly not organized, or maybe even that you don't even value me. So that's just assigning really serious negative motives to the other person, but always our motives are more clear and just and uh, pure and simple and sweet. 
So, a granny says, turn yourself from a victim to an actor and turn the other person from a villain to a human. And that, that's one way to look at it. You definitely want to say, recognize, now am I playing the role of the victim in this interpretation? Uh, I don't want to be the victim. We're all, you know, adults. Uh, what would a rational, reasonable, and decent person, you know, do in this situation? In these conversations, it's good to recognize your part. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't say, but in this conversation, the boss might do well to say, you know, I should have told you this a lot earlier, and I apologize, um, or, you know, I'm sorry I let you go in the wrong role. I mean, it seems like we don't know if he was incapable of living up to the expectations of the role, but certainly it was not easy for Randy. So you want to get your emotions right and your interpretations make them helpful. So number three is to gather the facts, which is something, of course, you, you usually want to start the conversation by stating the facts because what is a difficult or challenging or significant conversation is usually because there's a gap between what was expected and what actually happened. So you want to, I call it describing the facts of the gap or explaining the gap. What has happened? Uh, what are the uh, things that this person failed to do? Lay out your data, explain your log logic. You really want to build your argument and then state, and I've come to this conclusion that you're gonna be fired. Um, this is just so badly set up because this conversation should have happened eight and a half years ago. And you're, when you have a conversation to fire somebody, that should not be the first time you talk about these bad or insufficient performance. It should be, you should have talked about this like some time ago, it should not come as a surprise. And if it does, either there's something, you know, like an employee does something incorrect completely out of the blue, highly unlikely, but I'm sure it happens. Uh, but this firing conversation should be like the third or the fourth at the most conversation you've had about these actions that uh, have not been appropriate or sufficient to achieve the goals or that's fulfilled the expectations set for the employee. All right, so number four, he has to get curious. Uh, to get curious, the, uh, to to find out more the other person's point of view and to listen to the other person's defense and what they have to say. And he correctly points out that listening makes you more persuasive. He quotes Dean Rusk, who once said, the best way to persuade others is with your ears by listening. And it is true, and that's an advantage that introverts have in being persuasive is that we tend to be better listeners. So that he shares the story that Randy had a hard time finding another job because he'd been in this job that was not suited for him for nine years, getting raise after raise after raise. No, duh, of course it's going to be um, hard for him. So this is definitely a story of a failed leader. I'm going to, that's the end of the article. I'm, and again, this is Harvard Business Review, January 22nd, 2019. Um, so for any significant conversation, one that's going to move the needle or something that needs to have, of course, preparing is what's going to make it successful. 
A lot of people think that winging it is gonna give them the optimum results and winging it, whether it's giving a presentation or having a difficult conversation, seldom, uh, seldom gives optimum results. I think it's um, delusional to think that winging it is a, the best way to communicate, but that's me. Uh, of course, you wanna get clear on your intention, on the story being told. You know, your intention for yourself, for the company, for the other person. Make sure you're not in, uh, falling into a victim mentality. Then you want to lay out the facts of the gap, the expectations of the reality and the reality. But <laughs> this is the biggest, 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 biggest conclusion. These conversations can be somewhat avoidable when expectations are clear and the manager is holding consistent one-on-ones and there is a culture of healthy discussion. You don't want to have just yes people. You don't want to have meeting dominators who control all the conversation. So th for me, that's the best way to go is to care, have little confrontations, uh, strong expectations, and a healthy environment where you ask, is there another point of view? And, you, and think about it, during all these nine years, his colleagues, I imagine, were complaining to the manager, why the heck did it take him so long to take, to take action? That's really, as I said before, a story of failure. So if you are already doing the right thing and having your one-on-ones and keeping your expectation clear and encouraging a profitable dissent, or, or, or disagreement, you maybe you need to let others know that you're doing that because that's something that happens in companies that people that are actually doing the good work of avoiding problems like this one with Randy, they don't get recognized. Um, so you might want to tell, talk, you know, spread the word and help other people to follow your example. And if you need help with this, I can come in as an individual coach or a team building uh, communication skills session and really give people an opportunity to talk about what's going on. Because there's always the story at the surface and when you dig down beneath that surface, there's other uh, conflicts and dynamics happening. This is my take on the four things to do before a difficult conversation. I hope you uh, don't need to have very many of them, but please don't put them off. Certainly don't put them off for nine years. I did put off a difficult conversation recently for about 10 days. Um, so it wasn't too bad. I did have it. And of course, it was not nearly as bad as I had feared it, it could be. Have a good day and I'll catch you on the next edition. Bye-bye.